and our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. One of the gifts at looking at the Ten Commandments one at a time has been the opportunity for more breadth and depth of reflection and contemplation. It's been quite challenging. Uh, it's so much easier to just gloss over it. You know, just sort of got it. Um, so, so I'm grateful for it, uh, and I want to also acknowledge that it's been challenging. And, and I wonder if it's been challenging for you, or if it's at least opened up the commandments in a new way for you. Um, good, it's always good to know you're not alone. So here we are on number eight, um, for us anyway. We're not necessarily going in a traditional order here, but... Uh, the Eighth Commandment is about stealing. I mean, the short version is don't do it. Um, and while it would be really tempting to tell you of all the times that I did as a child and got caught, um, I, I think we're going to go a little deeper. Because if you're still at that place of doing it and you haven't been caught enough, let's talk during the week. Uh, we can figure that out together. But this eighth thing, this eighth word, pairs very well with the second precept in Buddhism. And in Buddhist, Buddhism, if you're not sure, there are five of these precepts, of these rules of training. And the second precept is often translated as do not steal. Some prefer practice generosity as a translation. But my favorite is actually a more literal translation, and it's something like this. Refrain from taking that which is not given. In other words, refrain from taking that which is not offered. So a really simple example of that is something I've experienced firsthand when I've been on retreat. I was part of the kitchen cleanup crew way after dinner. So in other words, at the time when you might be a little hungry. And, yep, I know, you hear me. <laughs> so knowing that we are to refrain from taking that which is not offered, that jar of almonds that knew my name was something that I had to turn away from. And the refrigerator that I know that held the delicious leftovers was something that was not available at the time. There's a story in Buddhism about a thief and the master. And one evening, the Zen master was reciting sutras, which are ancient scriptures, when a thief entered the house and said, your money or your life. And without any fear, the master said, don't disturb me, help yourself with the money, it's in the drawer. And the master resumed reciting scripture. And the thief was startled by this unexpected reaction but proceeded with business anyway. 
And while taking money out of the drawer, the master stopped and called, Don't take all of it. Leave some for me to pay my bills tomorrow. And the thief left some money behind and prepared to leave. And just before leaving, the master suddenly shouted, You took my money and you didn't even thank me. That's not polite. (laughs) This time the thief was really shocked. Such fearlessness. And the thief thanked the master and ran away. And later told friends that they had never been so frightened, ever. (laughs) A few days later, the thief was caught and confessed to many crimes, including the one at the master's home. And when the master was called as a witness, the master said, No, this person didn't steal anything from me. I gave them the money. They even thanked me for it. The thief was so touched that they decided to repent and upon release from prison became a student, a disciple of the master. See, this precept is more than just respecting another's property. It's an invitation to ask, what may I give? It's about developing a habit of generosity that remembers the needs of others. And this is has a biblical foundation. Leviticus 19, verses 9 to 11. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. It's not all for you. Even if it was your labor that produced it. Of course, your labor plus the sun, the moon, the stars, the soil, the rain, the... Right? It's not all ours. And that reminded me, when I was teaching, of this lunchroom practice. I was teaching at a Catholic school, and one of the beautiful things about that was that before each meal, we offered a prayer. And it was fun on different occasions to share that prayer with students, to invite them forward to do that. But there was another practice that was much less visible. Walking around the lunchroom, if I noticed that there was something that wasn't being eaten, I'm like, are you going to eat that? They said, no. So I would say, do you want to offer that to another student who might be hungry? And the answer was always yes. And so then very quietly, I would move to the place where someone didn't have food and offer, sometimes options, what they might have. And in remembering that, I want to, I want to speak to our students in the room, and I want to ask you to be on the lookout. As you go to school this first week and every day thereafter, I'm imagining that you might have more than one pencil or marker or crayon and that you might have extra paper or whatever else students need. And you might want to consider offering that as you notice someone who doesn't have it. But I also want to remind you that your backpacks are filled with much more than things. Your backpacks are filled with hopes and dreams and prayers and encouragement 
And I hope you'll learn to notice folks who need that as well. This commandment, this thing, is an invitation to integrity. And integrity is easiest to explain as bringing our behavior and our values in line, lining them up. In Latin, the word integrity means whole or complete. In Hebrew, the word is shalom, which means whole or complete. It also means peace between people and peace within oneself. The Arabic word is salam. I'd like to offer that this is definitely an ongoing process, a lifelong endeavor. And it's surprising to me how often I am called to notice when something is not in alignment. The subtleties, and this is the most subtle example I can give you of turning off the water when I swish my mouth before I spit after I brush my teeth. I mean, right? You're like, wow, she really has a little OCD. But, um, <laughs> but that's not it. Living in Colorado, people talk about water differently than we do on the East Coast. And you have raised my awareness. And that's the most subtle example I can give you, but there are much bigger ones also. So many scholars have talked about the Eighth Commandment and Eighth Word, and and they've said things like, the worst kind of thief is someone who uses deception to steal the good opinion of people. Yeah, this is gossip, right? Oh, my gosh. He's so great. Oh, yeah? Well, you should have seen him last week. Not so great. You know, we all have off days. We don't need the world to know about it. It's not our job to spread negative things about people or to tarnish impressions that people have. And I learned this as a teacher. The student that some teachers found most challenging were sometimes my favorite. And the ones that I had the most challenging time with were another teacher's favorite. So go figure. Maybe it's not the student at all. The eighth commandment is also a warning against stealing someone's freedom. There are many scholars that talk about it's part of the admonition to not steal someone into slavery or diminishing someone's self-worth and dignity. You know, a professor once said, and I'm sure many people have said, actions speak louder than words, but words are clearer, aren't they? You can't unhear something. And consider, I want you to consider the actions and words that are stealing lives and opportunities for others to live and thrive. Consider that. Now I want you to go deeper and consider further the minds and hearts and spirits that are stolen through the propagation of fear and danger. Consider how that kind of theft incites extreme violent reactions. Again, violence with words and actions. We must undertake the practice of honestly evaluating motives and thinking deeply about how our words and actions and our inactions will affect others. 
if our words and actions and inactions have a negative effect, is that stealing? Is any form of diminishment stealing? Now, with school starting and having started in some parts of the country, you know, students and teachers have been on my mind and heart a lot. And I did have the privilege of asking one student, you know, what's the most important thing you learned in preschool? And the first thing they said, after thinking about it a while, was spelling. Now, what I didn't say was, oh boy, I'm still learning that. <laughs> um, but I had to think about that too and say, you know, I can see why that was an answer. I mean, think about how much emphasis we put on standardized testing and curriculum and benchmarks. You know, I learned this week that the whole school district is on sort of the same curriculum and everybody is expected to be at the same place at the same time. Sounds like a nightmare of challenge. But upon further reflection, the student said to me, you know, the most important thing I learned was everyone has a story and is a unique individual and we should be kind to one another. I said, now that is a really important lesson. And if we are to only take what is offered, we need to be sure that what we offer is life-giving. I mean, that's what I hear in those words. Everyone has a story and is a unique individual, and we should be kind, so we must offer what is life-giving. So what are our moral benchmarks? What, are our, what is our curriculum around relationship building and interdependence? And then last night, I had an experience on a kayak with a young student. And this was their first time in a kayak. First time ever. And, you know, when I came from the East, we gave up our paddleboard because I'm like, oh, you don't need that in Colorado. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> this is the best place to play ever. So there we were on this beautiful lake with beautiful people. And two of us in separate kayaks. And, you know, that first time, it's like, woo, wasn't my first time, but I could tell there was a little concern. I said, what are you, what are you worried about? Well, I'm afraid it's going to tip over. It's fair. Yep. Well, here's the good news. It's designed to not tip over. So you just maintain your center of gravity and you try to stay balanced on your sits bones you should be okay. Safety is a valid concern, isn't it? In a kayak, it's about tipping over. But I'm sure you can think of many other ways that safety is a concern. So there, you know, paddle, 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 paddle. Enter a speedboat. Yeah, right. With water skier. Like, oh, man, we're cooked. So... People on the shore are yelling, Sarah, come in. And I'm like, I I hear you, but I can't deal with you right now because I've got this other kayak beside me and we need to figure this out together. So we hear you, but nobody knew that we heard them. And so there we are, and we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to stay still. We're going to stay together. And it's going to get a little rocky, but the boat is designed to do this. We're just going to let the boat do its thing, and we're just going to keep breathing. 
So that's what we did. And the boat did its thing. And so did we. And we tipped and we turned. And then we came in and learned that when there's a speedboat, you're supposed to stay to the side. Got it. So we stayed in the water. Tried to get a little more under belt here. Speedboat kept doing its thing. And I have to tell you that some of the waves got a lot bigger. Uh, and so it was like, ooh, hmm. So I still knew that we were safe, but it was a matter of how wet are we going to get. Uh, it turns out just a little. Um, but it was a great and important lesson that the waves can crash over the side of the boat and you still can stay afloat. But the important piece was staying together. While one person wasn't so sure, the other person was. Because we are in this together. And then when we came out of the water, the owner of the home said, you know, I'm so sorry I didn't tell you about that speedboat thing. And I know they weren't there when you went out, and that's a new person on the lake. So they don't even know that sort of our code of behavior is that they should have stopped and waited for you to get out of the way. Which is a great example of how we have to learn all the time, right? That speedboat person was like, let's go out and terrorize the kayakers. Let's steal their joy. No, I really don't believe that. But upon further reflection, I'm guessing that's going to make sense. A lot of people have been uh, quoting Toni Morrison this week following her death. And I think the one that's getting the most, uh, the most hits is the function of freedom is to free someone else. And I think this applies to this commandment. And on behalf of the congregation, I reached out to the leaders of Inglesia this week. Inglesia is a Latinx church that meets in our space three times a week. Because I hope I'm not the first to tell you that the Latinx community have been targets of actions and words that dehumanize and destroy. And the stories of those children coming home from school make me weep. And so I'm telling you about this outreach because there are others who are going to be meeting with leaders of Inglesia. And I want you to prepare to share a portion of what we have with people who are living in fear and uncertainty. I want you to prepare to live out our shared responsibility by offering what is life-affirming and life-giving, and I don't know what form that's going to take right now. And either did the leaders of Inglesia. All they said was, we've been praying, and so we're going to continue the conversation. And her words of, we've been praying, reminded me of Taylor's sermon on Luke 11 about the Lord's Prayer and about prayer. But more specifically, it was the part about perseverance in prayer. We have time. Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answered from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because of, 
because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And when I heard this, what I heard was the juxtaposition of prayer and action, right? Someone's prayer is translated into an action of knocking on the door. And even though it's really annoying and you don't want to get up and do it, eventually you're just going to do it so it will stop, right? Well, friends, it's our turn to knock. See, I think we make the mistake of believing that the ones who are targeted are the ones that should be knocking. It's us, if you happen to not be targeted. It's our turn to knock. Friends, let us go forth to love and to serve. And when you go and wherever you go, may God's love surround you. May God's spirit guide you. May God's whisper cheer you. May God's peace calm you. And may God's grace protect you. This very moment and in all the moments to come. And let us say together and knock together. Amen.